Did your sorority sisters ever ice any Nazis? No. No, they much more likely would have iced a Nazi, a.k.a. hidden a Smirnoff ice bottle, so that <laughs> when they found it, they had to chug it. That would have been... Did you ice a Nazi? No, but I iced him. Uh, you know, we all have to serve our country in our own way. Yes. History, I'd like to follow me down the rabbit hole. History, I'd like to Hello and welcome to HILF. History I'd like to fuck with Don Brody. I'm Don Brody. It's good to have you in the den. That's the Deluxe Edition Network. To hear other great podcasts in the den, follow the link in the show notes or go to deluxeeditionnetwork.com. Today's HILF is the incredible World War II story of three young women in the Netherlands who, as part of a local resistance group, seduce and execute high-ranking Nazi officers in the woods around their town. I mean, this story is batshit. Totally unique. Oh my god, what would I have done in their shoes journey through a time and place unlike any other? I cannot wait to introduce you to Hanny, Truce, and Freddie, the Dutch resistance heroines of World War II. <laughs> and we have my guest, Michelle Mosier, to thank for this hilf. Michelle is a sometimes podcaster, an avid hiker around her Colorado home, and previous member of a cult. Oh, I know, right? Let's get started. I am so delighted to have you as a guest, Michelle. I'm honestly, this is so much fun because when we met earlier this year, I was a guest on the podcast you were co-hosting at the time. That's so fucked up mm-hmm. with Ashley Richards, who's great. And you and I had just met, like I was a fan. I love that pod. And I had listened to you two banter and stuff, but I didn't know that you were a member of a cult and you just kind of, or had been, you would, you dropped yes. it. You were like, Oh, hi. Yeah. I'm Dawn. I'm Hill. Oh yeah. I listened to your pod. Okay. I've listened to your pod. And then like, as we were talking, you were like, Oh, just real quick. Yeah. No, I was a member of a cult or grew up in a cult and, I, and we didn't have time. <laughs> for me to yeah. be like, hold, what cult? How long? What happened? Um, and you don't have to give me all of your life story, but I am oh, no. desperately curious to know what happened. It's a little less saucy than it sounds, but um, essentially from ages like 12-ish to 18, I was uh, deeply involved in a Pentecostal evangelical church. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was the... Uh, it was the breed of church that was a speak in tongues, lay hands on people, um, publicly slut shame, uh, 20-something-year-old youth pastor talking to a room of mixed-sex high schoolers about masturbation mm. and the evils Great. of, you know, dilling yourself, um, <laughs> you know, d- dreams from the Lord. Uh, God, when I was like 14... My friend's 18-year-old older, older brother told me he had a vision from God that we were going to get married one day and live in a yellow house with two children. Wow. Um, we put on a Halloween play every year that depicted, like, people dying and going to hell and had people <sighs> dressed up as demons dragging dragging us into hell and, uh, you know, oh. and then afterwards had a very dramatic altar call where... The pastor went up and told everybody about how it was going to be their fate if they didn't, Girl. you know, tur- very like turn or burn. Um, yeah, it was just like a. I got to be honest with you. It sounds very 
emo and exciting. What? Why did you leave? I can't. I can't. See, I can't see a reason to exit this party. <laughs> um, I I left. I went to college. I actually went to Christian college my first year, and I think getting out of that like oh but this is the cool kids you know it was very like appeal to teens like mm-hmm. early 2000s youth group we'd go watch the boys skateboard skateboard in the parking lot after service like and i think getting out of that bubble even into a very similar different bubble mm-hmm. was enough to kind of snap me out of it and see you know i was looking at my college experience where i had a curfew and we couldn't like boys and girls couldn't be in the same dorm room except for like two hours a week with a lot of supervision and just all these things. And then I'm watching my friends who went to traditional colleges and universities, just like not even like ah, partying. I mean, yeah, I sure. did party, then joined a sorority. So there's my second culty experience. But, um, <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm seeing them all experience life and I'm realizing that the viewpoints that I'm being exposed to were so narrow. Yeah. And I was like, if I make it, four years here I am I'm gonna see like this much of what the world has to offer mm-hmm. and so I started looking at other schools and living my life and tasted my very first sip of vodka and uh, you know everything changed after that <laughs> oh dos Vidonia, huh that Ooh. stuff is good yeah I left I left vodka in college okay. me and vodka had a we had a nice relationship and then and then we broke up because Great. I just realized it goes down too easy it sure does but you got through all that and now now where do you where yeah. do you find yourself do you do are you still mm. a person of, of faith are you did you pursue your degree where did you end up uh, so I went to I ended up transferring to Western Michigan University in what's Kalamazoo the mascot? what's the mascot? the Broncos Go so Broncos. it's very convenient oh. that I moved to Denver Oh, yeah. that's nice. Just, Keep all yeah. your hoodies. Yeah, it's just the horse faces the other way. All Confuses right. people. See, and if people are looking at you in the rearview mirror, and they're, they're like, fine. The Broncos. <laughs> She's doing it. Uh, yeah, very. I would consider myself a, if this were my hinge profile, I would probably put okay. spiritual. Uh, I yeah, I love astrology. I love the idea of like manifestation and the universe and. If only because I'm a control freak and I just like to think that the world isn't just random and that I have some ability to, you know, control the things that come into my life. Um, but yeah, not not religious anymore by any means. But, you know, mm-hmm. respect people who are as long as you use that as something that brings you joy and happiness and comfort and not as an excuse to hate other people or. Yeah, but we're in- you currently live in Colorado. Uh, yep. What are you What are you doing? What occupies your time these days? Oh, I mean, I have a I have a great day job working in uh, learning and development at a tech company, which is just like the most boring ass early thirties <laughs> like millennial job thing to say. Great, uh, take your but money. I've got yeah, I'm like, but I'd make that money to do the fun things. Love to be outside, uh, hiking, paddleboarding. Uh, just sitting outside with a nice sangria. It's not all about drinking, but it's not not about drinking. It's not. It's not not invited. Sure, you and your wisdom brought me to Hilf for us today, seducing and killing Nazis. These in, this so incredible excited. story. This I, I'm so so excited. Can you tell me how you first heard about it and why it was the subject that you assigned me? Yeah. Um. I've always been pretty like when it. 
I've never been good at history. It, I, it always in school, it always felt like memorizing things for the sake of memorizing them. Hmm. But the which is probably, I think, more a facet of the K through twelve education than history's fault. Sure. Um, but the uh, that Holocaust period, I always found. I hate to use any positive sounding word talking about it, but like captivating from a sense of like, it is so hard to wrap your mind around the idea that this happened Hmm. and that we let it happen. And then you fucking hear about all of this horrible things happening every day that just the media doesn't, they're like, I don't know. It's kind of bad in Haiti, but like, maybe don't worry about it. It's fine. (laughs) You know? And so we're like, wow, we actually do just kind of let terrible things happen, but it's, it's baffling how huge it was and that Mm. it just it that it happened I think I've always been like you know kind of fascinated by that but like of course that's not I think probably the right level of lightheartedness for a podcast like this um (laughs) so you wanted you were originally thinking just the holocaust I just want to do like a hell of the holocaust sure and then you were like (laughs) no I should be more specific (laughs) yeah I'm like that's not that's um maybe too dark history we'd Um, like to fucking not have happened yeah 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 yep but my friend jenna is an avid book reader and she was reading a historical fiction based on this you know these women and um and i was like that's so badass that that's like a thing people did that's like a thing that happened and so that was kind of what i i knew that in the periphery this thing existed mm-hmm. so i was like that is probably a an exact because it's literally literal fucking uh literal an fucking. exact yeah. literal fucking oh an exact right way to like take this period of time that i already was like oh that period of time is really is really mm. interesting and then find a, a fuckable aspect of it oh girl it was it was expertly assigned and i my understanding of this story up to your recommendation of it and your suggestion of it was a a, a loose uh recollection of yes i believe i remember hearing about resistance women in the resistance who would seduce and, and murder nazis but no idea where no idea like who they were what it went down and I showed you, I think when we were sort of communicating leading up to this, I showed you my book, yes. Seducing and Killing Nazis by Sophie Paldermans. And I showed you that I had been reading this thing so avidly. The pages are falling out. I Amazing. have to I have to carry it around now with two rubber bands just to keep it <laughs> together. And uh, that's always a thrill. You know, as a historian, mm-hmm. you can imagine it's like breaking your books and then getting the leather patches on your elbows. You're like, ah, I really, yeah. I've really made it. Made you know? it. <laughs> yeah. Um, um, I will get you a pipe for Christmas. Oh. Uh, to really fully complete the look, I think, you. of yes. a true historian. Exactly. Yes, and I'll, and I have one long straggly hair that continually <gasps> grows out my chin, which isn't, I, it's not quite the beard I'd like to be stroking, but it's. <gasps> It's up there. It's a facsimile. Um, But this book um, is a joy to read. And it is my only source. And and the reason why is because every other source that I found, any essay, any biography, any sort of little piece of nugget tidbit picture came from this source. Amazing. And so as it goes, it's good and bad. Obviously, as historians, you want all of it. You want all the stuff. I want receipts. I want birth certificates. I want letters. I want diaries. I want newspaper clippings. I want the whole thing. And then I read all that horse shit, and then I put it together for this thing. When you've only got one source, it's just that's all you got, right? Now, the benefit to this source, what makes it 
unbelievably great is that this author, Sophie Polderman, she's a historian. She's an author. She lived and grew up in the town where all of these activities went down and personally knew two of these three women for over 20 years of her life. That's amazing. She has access to their homes, to their childhood drawings. I mean, if you're only going to have one source, I mean... It's a really She's the right one. It's a really great source. What it lacks, however, is the what I was most curious about going in, which is the really personal insight to these women, how they were feeling and what they were thinking. We don't have their journals, we don't have their diaries. Sophie knew them, like I said, for over 20 years and she asks them a lot of very direct questions about stuff like how they were feeling and and how they felt, and they speak honestly in in the veiled language that I've heard a lot of military veterans refer to, mm. where they'll give you some details, they'll tell you dates or names, but there's a lot that they just don't talk about. So yeah. what I'm going to do, I'm I, my plan for this, I, I'm not going to try to guess <laughs> what these women were thinking. I'm, I'm going to try really hard not to project what may have been going through their minds or like heightened emotional states, but I am going to because I couldn't help it, put myself. Mm as much as I can in their shoes and try to ask like, what the fuck would I have been feeling and thinking and what the fuck would I have done? Yeah. Right. In this, in this story. So here's my plan for, <laughs> for our fucking ahead. Um, I'm going to start with a story. This is a great story. I, was, I mean, you know, the whole thing is great, but there's one specific story. It's an edge of your seat. Good for context way to kind of introduce ourselves to, to these women. Then I'm going to take from that moment, I'm going to go back and I'm going to take a big wide view very briefly on world war two in general, because precisely to your point, boy, I mean, you know, World War II was the number one hit show on the History Channel for, right, for over 10 years for a reason, right? And so we're going to kind of be able to look. And so we, this will give you a context of what they were experiencing, why the stakes were as high as they were, how fucking scary it was, and like how this, the war was sort of closing around them in their town. Um, then we're going to get into their resistance activity, girl, and we're going to talk about who they killed. We're going to talk about how they killed them and uh, and then what happened when the war was over. Oh, All right. Are you ready to fuck? I'm so excited. (laughs) (laughs) I haven't been this excited to fuck in a long time. All right, girl. Well, limber up. It's a spring day, 1943, in the city of Harlem. It's spelled like Harlem, but with two A's, uh, in northern Holland. This is one of the most beautiful cities on earth, and it's the most beautiful time of the year. This is when the tulips are blooming, and it's so gorgeous. But at this particular moment, the city of Harlem, it's it's the bombed-out, hellish landscape of Nazi occupation, okay? There's a young woman. Her name is Hanny. She's 22, and she is she gets to the hospital, the local hospital, and she's in disguise. She's pretending to be a student nurse looking for a job. In reality, she was sent there by a guy named Franz Vanderveel. He is the leader of the Dutch resistance. He's kind of a hottie. We'll get to him in a minute. And she's been sent there to meet with two other young women, two sisters, Truce, who's 19, Freddie, who's 16, the idea is that the three of them are going to meet up and make a team so that they can start executing these secret missions together. This is so fucking scary what Hanny is doing, going to meet them for the first time. She, I mean, the Nazis at this point in 1943, they are publicly executing people all the time. There are spies and traitors everywhere. It is very likely that she walked past dead bodies on her way to this meeting. 
They all three of them have been warned, trust no one, and all three of them are concealing handguns either under their clothes or in their bags. They are briefly introduced to each other by the headmistress of the hospital. Um, her name is Greet. She is a resistance-friendly gal, and she's the aunt of these two sisters. They get into this room together. They sit down at the table, and they're just looking at each other. And Hanny says, I was sent by Franz. She doesn't give a last name. She doesn't give any context, and they don't say anything further. They just sit there in silence for minutes. Now, we don't know who cracked first, but what we do know is that is the absurdity of the situation, like hit them all kind of at the same time and they smile and then they start giggling and then they just all three of them started laughing, huge rolling laughter and all three of them bring guns out from under the table, (laughs) like put their guns on the table and begin a lifelong friendship. Um, spoiler alert, a life that for one of them is cut far too short. So that's 1940. That's the meeting. That is how our three heroines who we're going to be hanging with for for the rest of this episode, that's when they first met each other. Okay, so now I'm going to back it up a little bit. Now, you said the thing that always kind of curled your toes about World War II was the dark, dark a Holocaust. It's it is. It's yeah. one of those things, and and it's important, right? It's hard. It's sort mm-hmm. of like when you say you love the movie Schindler's List, you yep. have to like qualify. <laughs> I didn't enjoy it, but yeah. I did love it. But yeah. I hated it. Yeah, very right. And World War Two. It's it's the friends of the History Channel because anything that interests you in any area of human experience has a path that will take you with interest to World War II. Are you into women, women's history, women's rights? Well, guess what? We've got the Women's Army Corps. We've got the future Queen of England in pants fucking fixing Land Rovers. You want racial history. We've got the integration of the army and the horrible segregation. We've got the Tuskegee Airmen. You want science? Well, welcome to the Manhattan Project and nuclear weapons. You want dark history, concentration camps, the attempt to eliminate a race of people from the face of the earth. Oh, you were saving Private Ryan. Take me to the trenches of France where I can get into serious military strategery no no never mind i want a tropical setting i'm gonna go to the south pacific and hang out i mean it's huge it's everywhere which is why for this like you know you take your lens and you want to just like go super tight and you're just zooming in on this enormous landscape of fuckery you know Mm -hmm. down to this like little dutch village so what i want to do is kind of go through super broad strokes of how the the onslaught of world war ii felt to these three women before they're holding guns on each other in the middle of like a bombed out hospital right because they didn't get there overnight um 10 years before this hospital meeting 1933 is when hitler is sworn in as chancellor of germany they're mm-hmm. all kids when that happens. In fact, Freddie, the youngest of the girls, is about my daughter's age right now, which I just kind of kept that in my back pocket. She's about five. So the first one, so your parents, your village are starting to be like, Hitler, huh? That's bad. And Germany, huh? That's really <laughs> nearby. And your point earlier about watching the news and living in this world where you just sort of go, well, that's terrible. But it's mm-hmm. not here yet. I can ignore it. It's not touching me yet. And also, what can I do? It's another fucking country. They elected this guy. What the fuck? We're in the Holland. You know what I mean? Um, (laughs) 
Then a year after he's elected chancellor, he starts amping up the crazy shit. It's not just against Jews, but he starts to push out dissidents. He starts to imprison his critics. He would like, you know what I like better than chancellor is Fuhrer. Do you guys love it? <laughs> it rolls off the tongue, right? And at this point, this is when Truce and Freddie, the two sisters, this is the first time they take in Jewish refugees into their house. So they're little, right? Again, the war mm -hmm. is still not in their country, but they're already like seeing Jewish refugees fleeing into their country. Um, 1939 is the year Hanny, the oldest girl, starts college. And she's going to go and be a human rights lawyer. And she's studying law in Amsterdam. And that is the year that Hitler invades Poland. And that's okay. when World War II really starts. So these kids, so the two little ones are still kind of at home. Hanny's starting college. And, it, you know, closer. It's getting closer, closer, closer. After Hitler invades Poland, of course, he goes to Denmark and Norway. And in May of 1940, Germany invades and occupies the Netherlands. Mm. Walk. Right? That's super. And it's bad shit. I mean, crazy. Yeah. Can you imagine? It's, it, it ju it's just so... We've been so lucky in America to not have, like... Since, what since the Civil War, we haven't had like a true like battle fought war on American soil, right? That's uh, I. You're absolutely right. It's one of the I, things that people start I, like to if point I remember to one now. Thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, well done. One thing yeah. in history. Yes. And it's sort of like it's so strange because it feels like America today we have not experienced an invasion of an armed foreign entity, and yet <gasps> we shoot each other. Every single yeah. day in non-military environments. So there is That's this sort true. of like, which would you rather have? Would you rather have 10 years of a proper battle where you get to move and live the rest of your life without being afraid of being shot in the back of the head by some pissed off person who has now seen you as the oh. enemy? Or even if they're not just suddenly seeing you as the enemy, see you as like acceptable collateral damage as they mm -hmm. express some deep darkness in themselves. It's like... I'm not Jesus, saying right. I'm not necessarily, you know, but like, yeah, Starbucks, no. every, you know, every fucking concert you go to, you and I both and everybody mm -hmm. knows that you don't go anywhere these days without a part of your brain going, am I about to get fucking shot? Yep. So where's you know. the nearest exit? If anything goes down, where's the nearest exit, where, my, what color shoes do my friends have? That kind of uh, horse shit. So I can look, yeah. get, see them when I'm on the ground. I mean, it's ridiculous. Uh. So your country's invaded, and this is like, it's bad shit. I mean, Germany invades, the queen and the royal family and the entire government fuck off. They're gone. The Dutch army capitulates. So you're a citizen of the Netherlands, just like, uh, okay, so, right? Crazy upheaval. The Nazis now oversee everything, running transportation, goods and services, law and order, they are running everything. And as you can imagine, like any disruptive thing for, for a couple of months, it's just absolute chaos. But then something happens after a couple of months, no matter how fucking crazy it is, which is everybody starts to ooze into something like normalcy. You're just trying to get, I mean, the closest thing mm -hmm. I could sort of get to this from my own life experience was like COVID. Like, when yeah. the lockdown happened, I, I'm a mom. My job is over. My husband's, we're, we have our kid at home. We can't go anywhere without a mask. We're wearing things. And then everyone's like, okay, but we got to get groceries. And 
got to go to school. People are getting married. Babies are happy. Like you are like, okay. Oh yeah. Right. No life. We life doesn't stop. Right. Yeah. So if you're Jewish, of course, this is, you're not, there's no like, how are we going to get through this? Because you're, you've probably already been arrested or deported to a concentration camp or you are in hiding, but not immediately. Right. Mm -hmm. Because when the Germans invaded, they didn't have, frankly, the manpower and the infrastructure to uh, flex the like the worst parts of the Holocaust at the very beginning. Um, So but of course, and there were a lot of Jews in the Netherlands who had fled to the Netherlands. They were there because they fucking thought maybe they had gone far enough afield at this point to escape this stuff. And now they're tits deep in it again. And there are even fewer options and fewer places to go. Our cat, Hanny, who's in college, has two very close classmates who are also studying law, who also happen to be Jewish, Sonia and Feline. And they are getting kicked out of student organizations. Then, of course, they're forced to wear the yellow star. Then they are kicked out altogether. And Hanny, at this point, begins her first official acts of resistance, which are nonviolent. Because none of these girls are violent. These are all just mm-hmm. girls doing girls stuff. The same thing all the girls around there were doing, right? And her first acts of resistance are in defense of her Jewish classmates. She starts to steal IDs for them. So she'll go to like the public pool, bars, restaurants, and take identification cards and papers that she can find that can be either forged or used uh. outright to help her friends and their friends nice. escape and hide. Amazing. Right. Amazing. And also huge like problem. So this is the part where I'd want to try oh, to the extent that we can to tr- put ourselves in the city of Harlem in 1943 to navigate what where we might be. And to do mm-hmm. that, I thought that there were these statistics that were really helpful. Because when the German Nazis invaded this town... 90% of the population, the non-Jewish population, of course, tried very hard, like I said, to continue to just live their lives as normally as possible. Keep their head low, trudge along, not make too many mm-hmm. problems for themselves. Statistically, that means that's you and me. Mm-hmm. Statistically, we would probably just try not to get killed and yeah. go about our lives to the extent that we could, right? Mm-hmm. 5% of the, of the population jump into the cesspool. Fucking assholes, Right. Just let me point out the Jews and blow you mind Führer, right? Just the collaborate with the Nazis and do everything they can, whether for whatever their motivation is, they're in, right? Mm-hmm. And then another 5% of the population that resists and actively resists. And there's several different ways that you could have been actively resisting during Nazi occupation, starting with just reading, writing consuming illegal news right because of course you're like what the fuck is going on in the world and if there is are the american you know are the americans going to get into the war are there liberators right on the gates that will affect how i work can i who could i get help to who could i all of that stuff any of that strategic planning comes with information so of course the lockdown of information is one of the first things Mm -hmm. then you could hide people you could be housing Mm -hmm. people in your home this shit's going to get you shot Right. You're not shooting anyone, but you're definitely breaking the rules and you know the consequences. Mm -hmm. And then there's the actively violently participating, killing people, blowing shit up. That means that with only 5% of the population participating in the resistance, it is 
a third of that 5% that was able and willing to do something violent and truly disruptive to the German occupiers. And of that group, these three are the only women that we know of, that we have names of for this particular place. That just to give you kind of a, like these bitches be special, right? It's so, it, it like, it makes me wish that I would be in that third of a percent. I'm like, damn it. I know I would probably be the like, fucking just keep your head down. Mm-hmm. Like maybe, maybe do like a little, a little like shady, you know, Hey, I found this pamphlet. Did you fucking hear about what's going right. on in Normandy? Like, but I know. Uh, like, and you have to know you're seeing exist. it too. Like you're seeing, it doesn't happen immediately, but it also doesn't take long to see a, a, a German and SS officer just grab someone, put them against mm-hmm. the wall and shoot them. Yep. So you and I are sitting here like, I'm drinking this delicious bubbly water with a little watermelon flavoring in it. Oh. I have the temperature in this room set to exactly what I want. And I am, mm-hmm. I'm sitting crisscross applesauce, just like wondering what I would do. And I'm still like, I don't know. I think it might be too scary. Yeah. I'm starving. I'm hungry. My child's in danger. And I have to step over mm-hmm. a dead body of someone I know. I don't know. But for a lot yeah. of people, that makes you bolder, braver. People say, I don't know why, but yeah, I got stronger, braver. The, what to, what I was supposed to do actually became very clear to me in that moment. Man. Yeah. Um, <sighs> but her classmates, this is interesting. So she's going to college, Hanny, right? And and I told you 90% of the people are like, fucking, like, I just don't want, I would just like to survive this if I can. Mm-hmm. But then in February of 1943, the students are forced to sign a declaration of loyalty to the Third Reich. Oh. And 80% of the student population chooses instead to drop out. Wow. I, I thought that was so interesting, right? And such a you kind of like blunder on the part of the Germans, maybe. Yeah. Because like a lot of people I think are willing to be like, I'm going to go home. I can hate you in my head. And I don't have to say I hate you. But if you actually made me say I like you, I can't. That's a bridge too far. Like I can't do that. Mm-hmm. And college kids are this perfect storm of like, and speaking in very broad generalizations because everyone yes. has different backgrounds and experiences, but like they haven't had to make these huge decisions that have had huge detrimental effects. Yeah, as an adult, we've all done some shit that we're like, oh my God, I did that and it turned out horribly. Right. And now I have to think about these big decisions. You're so bold at that age because mm-hmm. you feel you feel this protection level still of like, well, I'm not like I'm not really an adult yet, right. but like I'm enough of an adult. You're you're independent enough to be emboldened, but you feel protected enough to just embolden you further. So it's like it it surprises me, and also I'm like, no, nah, you know what? If I think back to college and myself and the kids mm-hmm. I knew, like that probably would have been the exact time that we've been like, no, fuck you, I'm not signing that. Right? I'm my own person. I know, right? And in so many cultures and so many times throughout human history, a student population has been a driver of revolution and and reaction and change. And I think it might be exactly the point you're making because. That, that that collides at a point in your life when you're really ready for it. It's also the same age that we recruit them to be soldiers. I think, you know, <laughs> you're particularly strong. You are particularly personally invested with how the future goes and you're expendable mm-hmm. to your elders, right? Yeah. It, it, I just thought that was such a fascinating, like, reaction, yeah. though, that they were like, I'm good, I'm good, I'm good. Sign this declaration. Fuck you, I'm nope. out. Like, yep. amazing. You can't make me. And it's also kind of 
at least for Hanny, and I suspect for some of the other students, I mean, all of a sudden they got a um, time on their hand. <laughs> right? Yeah. And and what she uses her time for is to fuck with the Nazis. She's like, all right, I'm not going to college. That was kind of my last thing was I was going to just try to hang in there, but fuck it. And it is at this point that she tries to let the organized resistance in her village know that essentially she's down, right? Mm-hmm. I'm down to do more stuff. Now, they already knew who she was because she was getting IDs, right? She was mm-hmm. She was participating in that sort of outer ring I mentioned of like, transporting newspapers and consuming radio and finding IDs for people and stuff. The other thing that women who were involved at the resistance at this point were were often assigned to do was simply escort people because they were less conspicuous. So use their their sexism and their understanding of, of gender roles against them, right? And if you are a sweet young thing holding a child's hand and just walking along and singing, they'll probably leave you alone. And that was how they got a lot of children in and out of safe houses and in and out of of various places was because they were just less likely to be stopped if you were with a girl. However, not always. And because these women are escorting children, they are seeing so many of these children murdered. There's Mm. stories all three of these girls had prior to their really violent interaction a kid on the back of her bike and they're riding and the kid gets shot uh, trying to take kids on a boat and the boat overturns and the kids drown so at this point they were like I'm really glad we were able to help as women we are unique but I can't watch any more kids fucking die you know what I'd rather do kill these motherfuckers right and so that is sort of her pitch (laughs) right so the resistance uh, in this particular city is called the RVV, and they're like, all right, Hanny, you want, you want in? Here's your first assignment. Shoot and kill a high-ranking Nazi SS guard. He's right over there. Here's a loaded gun. Huh? And she is like, right, okay. She takes a few deep breaths. She walks up to the guy. She puts the gun to him. And she pulls the trigger. Click. Click. Dude turns oh around, smiles <gasps> at her, and says, you've passed the test. Oh, it was all set up. Oh, thank God. <laughs> right? Oh, thank God. I know. At first, you're like, oh, thank God. And then you're like, fuck you, fucks. Right? But yeah. this was, how else are they going to do it? I mean, how else do you know if an no. average person who's not a soldier is going to be able to walk up to someone and kill him? How are you going to know mm-hmm. if you're going to be able to do it? You're not going through basic training. You didn't get a field's test with a weapon. You're not in a cohesive u- unit learning formations and commands and how to, like, move through a trench or how to how to know where to go when there's bomb. She doesn't get any of that shit. Her soldiering is, can you walk up to a motherfucker and kill him? Oh, my God. Yeah. So she gets the job. <laughs> yeah. Right? Well, you know, and good. good. Well deserved. Oh, right? Maybe LinkedIn wouldn't be such chaos right, right. now. Right. <laughs> LinkedIn is like, we're sending you a package. Yes. We'd like Follow you to get on Zoom. instructions inside. <laughs> exactly. Truce and Freddie, they had a super unique childhood in that they were raised by a single mom. Like, whoa. Her, their dad was kind of this handsome Rolling Stone who... You know, rolled on out of town a few years before the war and they are poor and they're living, but they're confident, they're educated. And they, as I mentioned, were taken in Jews into their house to hide them as early as 1934. And this is a big deal because it was illegal in the Netherlands to hide Jews. And they were poor as fuck. They lived in a worker's house. When they took this Jewish family in, they all gave up their beds and like... 
risked getting in huge trouble and gave what little they had. And again, mm-hmm. this is long before the Germans occupied the Netherlands. They were already making these choices, right? Mm-hmm. Their mom is printing, printing illegal newspapers in their house. And this printer is like loud as fuck, right? And they have to do all this stuff to like shut the printers down when people are coming by. And the girls are writing uh, like pro-resistant slogans on the walls and stuff. They're oh 14 gosh. and 16 when all this shit starts and goes down. It's so, so I know it's so badass, right? So they, but because of this, because they're already dangling their beautiful little toes over the edge of like, we dig this stuff. Mm-hmm. They get a knock on the door. This very handsome fella is like, uh, we would like to ask you if you would be interested in being more active in resistance operations, specifically, can you carry weapons and kill people? Like, let's not mince words here. Man. And the girls are like, I don't know. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, we're totally willing. Yes. And he's like, okay. So he goes away, comes back the next day, and they answer the door and he pulls a gun on him. And he says, uh, you were sold out. We knew about what was going on in this house. I'm arresting all of you, and we know that you are hiding an old Jewish man somewhere in this neighborhood. You tell me where he is right now, or I'm going to kill you and your mother on the spot. Oh, my God. Not only do these two girls not say where the old Jewish guy is, they start to kick and hit and scream. They go after this guy so hard that they almost miss him saying, it was a test. It was a test. It was a test. Can you imagine? So they don't give up the old Jewish guy and they're like run into his gun as as what they probably thought was going to be their last act. Oh my God. Right? So like they get the job. He he leaves like, fuck this job. I know. He's like, Jesus Christ. I don't know why our army isn't recruiting these sluts. Like, fuck. Um, They will will kill people. (laughs) Like I'm in danger. I am hurt. I am scared. Totally. Um, and so these girls are like, yeah. And, th- and the mom at this point is like, I we're printing newspapers, hiding people. This is a very different road to hoe than, yeah. right? And she doesn't know exactly what they're going to do. And what she says is, I know I cannot stop you. They've already asked you and you've already said yes. So I know I cannot stop you. And the resistance says, we will never tell you anything about what they're doing. You'll mm. never know. For your safety and for their safety, you will know absolutely nothing. And the girls do say later that they're glad of that because their mother yeah. would, even with her feelings, would never, ever have let them do what they were going to do. Um, and what they're going to do uh, is what you and I will be discussing when we come back from the break. This podcast is part of the Deluxe Edition Network. To find other great shows on the network, head over to deluxeeditionnetwork.com. That's deluxeeditionnetwork.com. Before we get back to effing history, a moment to discuss the next best thing. Effing each other. (laughs) Loveshoptoys.com not only sells sex toys, vibrators, strap-ons, restraints, lingerie, whatever you're into or curious about, but they also have a history of destigmatizing conversations about sex toys. If you like sex, but you blush when I say fuck, 
If you're not sure how to introduce a toy to your sexual relationship, history can help. <laughs> Head to loveshoptoys.com slash podcast and enter HILF podcast to save 20% off almost all regular priced products. Get free two to four day discreet shipping on orders over $69 on a huge variety of high quality toys. Love Shop has something for everyone. And this is a great way to support our podcast. See their link in our show notes. And remember to follow me, follow me, follow me, follow. Follow me, follow me, follow me, follow. If I taught high school, I would absolutely teach this history that we're talking about alongside the diary of Anne Frank. Because Anne is only three or four years younger than Freddie, the youngest of our three girls. And she is, at the time we're talking about, in hiding, in her annex, only a 24-minute drive from the city of Harlem. So any sort of images, feelings, um, stirrings in your imagination that you have over time associated with Amsterdam and Anne Frank is the landscape of the three women that we're talking about. And I just think it would be a very fascinating journey through this time and place in history to go back and forth between these women who are all experiencing it, obviously, in completely different ways. Did you read the diary of Anne Frank when you were in high school? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. It. Uh, I really want to go to the house, mm. like go to Europe and go. The, I've heard that it is like you have to reserve it, get your tickets yeah. like forever in advance, which makes sense. But um, sure. yeah, read the diary of Anne Frank. I'm sure that was probably an assigned reading at some point in like middle school or high school. But Huge deal. I mean, 13 is such a wild <sighs> time in the life of any human being, maybe especially girls mm-hmm. and maybe especially girls in the 1940s, you know. It's a a wild time. I still, I keep a journal and I still address someone in my journal like it's a letter. Um, And I learned that from Anne. I love Um, that. Yeah. Um, So where we left off, our three heroines have met and they have all been recruited into these armed, now intentionally violent and murderous uh, missions uh, within the resistance. And uh, I want to kind of break it out like who's who in the heist, right? (laughs) Hanny is that she's the oldest, right? She had gone to law school for a few years. And so she's sort of naturally the intellectual. She has red, bright red hair, and it makes her very recognizable right away. And everybody who's met her kind of remembers her because of her beautiful red hair. Um, And she generally is the one who's sort of choosing targets. She's strategically um, picking how this might psychologically impact the enemy, how it could sort of systemically disrupt the enemy's operations. She's the brains, right? She's Danny Ocean. She's the Danny Ocean. Exactly. Truce is the older sister, and she's just a real down-to-earth, decisive leader, right? Like once the plan has been made, she's your, she's your Brad Pitt. She's the right. Let's fucking dance. Everyone needs a bread put. Amen. Amen. Um, And then the Freddie, the younger sister, she's like the intelligence gatherer. She's scrappy. Mm -hmm. She looks the youngest. She's the smallest. She can get in and out of places. And she understands completely what they want to do. So she finds escape routes, where they come from, where they're going, what they're talking about. Like she's the eyes on the ground. Right. And they're first up 
right? Their first plan is to sort of use their beauty and their youth and their femininity as a secret weapon. They all sort of assumed they were going to be discovered at some point. And so they might not be able, and they might not be killed right away, but they would probably only be able to be sweet young girls anonymously for a brief time. So they were kind of mm -hmm. like, let's just use the sweet young girl angle as long as we can until they eyeball us and start looking for us specifically. Mm -hmm. So the German occupiers, like a lot of invading armies do, had found a population of women in town probably varyingly willing to fuck them, right? <laughs> and the... <laughs> Right. Some of them probably were into it somewhere. And it was but this is what happens. Right. When they're sort of setting up shop, they find where they drink, where they get their women, where they do their fucking mm -hmm. invading bullshit. Ugh. And these women were known by the local population as Moffin girls. Moff was like a derogatory term for a German, kind of like a kraut in English. Uh, right. Mm. So these these women who did it were called Moffin girls. Mm. So they. And I like this scene I'm about to lay for you because none of them had worn makeup before. They weren't not in addition to being young. They just weren't really like girly girls. So mm -hmm. they have no idea how to put makeup on, but they know that to be a Moffin girl, you got to do the thing. Right. And so there's just this night. It made me laugh so hard that they're all trying to figure out makeup. And it turns out Franz Vanderveel, this sort of hottie toddy resistance guy, comes to try to help them put makeup on. I'm sure it was to be a fly on the wall. <laughs> um, I'm like, th this is giving like pretty in pink or like, uh, I don't know, yes. just like eighties brat pack. Like, Oh, well, I don't know. I've just always been, mm -hmm. you know, the, the quiet girl in the corner. And now I have to go out and put myself out there. And it's like always the best friend who comes in and is like, I'll help you. <laughs> For sure. There's like a she's all that miscongeniality <laughs> sort of element. So they took to their glasses story. off and, and then they were models. Totally. So they they get all this get up on and they and they go into these bars and they go into these like meeting places of German officers and they are just at this point trying to get information. So they are just flirting and asking questions and pretending to be drunk just to see how much they can actually get from this particular angle. And sister, I mean, you want to talk about the history bending part of this story, which, of course, I do. It is incredible what these three flirty girls wearing makeup for the first time were actually able to get out of these German officers. They were able to get information that they passed on to the resistance. The resistance then passed on to London. This information was then specifically used to help the allies bomb German targets. Among them, um, a thing that was called the Atlantic Wall, which was this 3,000 mile like defensive line that the Germans had set up. They were able to figure, you know, that that sort of like, I'd love to meet you again. Where would I find you in the next town? You know, so they were able to sort of map this out. I love it. They were able to get details about the location of a V1 launch site. I mean, incredible. And that we can directly draw the line to them in this just these first few Your weeks. job just sounds so interesting. Wow, you mm. must have so much power and you, you know so much. You know what would wow. just curl my toes <laughs> is if I knew where. I mean, who knows, right? But the, we, and we know that this was the thing. I mean, I remember uh, there being signs and like, you know, American bars, loose lips sink ships, right? Because mm -hmm. everybody knows that like these pillow talking fucking dummies oh, yeah. will be like, you know how big my bombs are. You know, I'll show you. Um, and that's fun enough. And and eyeballing and spying and all that, not only were they really good at it, it obviously did a lot of good. We got some specific targets. But that's not what this story is about. 
No. This story is about them killing these fucks. Ugh. And this is their first blood. Okay. Yes. I want to start by saying that this book, um, Sophie Palderman, she talks throughout, and the and the survivors talk regularly about how one of their biggest challenges was trying to remain human. Mm-hmm. And I keep coming back to that because they they talk about it so much in the midst of all of this stuff. What kept them in touch with their own humanity and one of them is the language they use we know that language softening language using euphemisms is often how we sort of ease in and out of delicate conversations they do not say execute they do not say assassinate or murder every reference is uh phrased as liquidating a target oh even in hindsight even when they're being Mm -hmm. sort of casual with each other they say liquidating the target And the first target that they chose to liquidate is a German SS officer, very high ranking. Truce, the oldest sister, dresses up as a muffin girl, meets him at um, like a hotel bar and entices him to take basically a romantic stroll with her through the woods. (laughs) Now, the good news is in, in the resources that I've read, it doesn't sound like they had to endure so much as like a fucking kiss on the neck from these fucking assholes. Mm, okay, all right. Good, good. Spoiler alert. They're all dead before their dicks come out. Oh, great. As they should be. As they should be. This particular setup, the idea is that they're just walking along. And while they're walking, Franz is going to walk up and shoot this guy in the back of the head. Oh, nice. Which is nuts. Because just think about that. This is their first time, right? And and Truce knows I'm walking with this guy. And at some point, Franz is going to walk up and shoot him in the back of the head. She can't look nervous. She can't obviously mm-hmm. be looking around. She can't be giving him any cl- clues, obviously. And she doesn't know when it's going to happen. And what I'm hoping, what I would be hoping if I was her, is that this fucking asshole is saying something like, you know, my favorite thing about killing Jewish children is when they, so that when the fucking yes. gun goes off, you can be 100% like, fuck, like, yes, huh. right? Yes, that guy deserved it. Because they aren't making out, they aren't holding hands, he can't have his arm draped over her. So that means that the only way for her to really make this work is to, to, to keep him talking, to be casual, mm-hmm. to be sweet, to be intimate. And that means that he very well may have been talking about how much he loved life or his family or his hopes uh. and dreams. And, you know, you can only imagine... This, though, is what the book says. This is the the quote from the book about this moment. Despite her nerves, she played her role perfectly, and Franz succeeded in liquidating the officer. Nice. Very, very cut and dry. Very, very cut and dry. Uh, so they what right? happened. That's what it was. So they do this bit with seducing these guys out into the woods, and one of them shoots them, or Franz comes up and shoots them while they're walking. They then hide the bodies, right? And they mm-hmm. strip them of their uniforms, and they use the uniforms to make disguises for other people. Oh. But obviously, at some point, the Germans get wise. They're like, you know, there's Carl. Like, what? what's fuck? He went for a walk with these girls. And so they realize that they have to start, like, changing things around, right? Mm-hmm. And we know that um, they are taking turns. Freddie will sometimes do the execution. Truce will sometimes do the execution. Franz will sometimes be there just to transport the bodies because they have to get the bodies out of the way. Otherwise, they re- you know reveal the location. So, oh. In any event, it becomes easier for them to do this. And there's probably a lot of reasons why. Like anything, you do it a couple times, it gets a little easier. Mm-hmm. But also the Nazis are upping 
their atrocities every day. Yeah. Right? And this one incident uh, in particular left a mark on me. Truce, um, the older sister, is talking about how she was riding her bicycle through town one day. And they were frequently seeing, as I've mentioned before, the Germans just sort of pick people up, put them against the wall, shoot them, arrest them, beat them to death, leave their bodies there. It was awful atrocities all the time. But one day as she's going through town, she sees an SS officer killing a baby. He's smashing it against a wall while the father and the sister are just standing there screaming. And she walks up and she shoots him on the spot, murders him. And she said later... That was not an assignment, and it absolutely could have exposed me and had me murdered, and I've never regretted it for a second. I said that incredible. Because part of the discipline and part of the difficulty of being in the resistance was kind of that you couldn't do stuff like that. Yeah. Because you couldn't risk exposing yourself. You couldn't risk being taken taken out of you know this incredibly intricate chain of of espionage and in that instance she was like i killed that motherfucker because i could and i would do it again and i would do it again nazis i hate these guys hanny our redheaded gal uh she is working very closely in addition to working with truce and hanny she's working with this guy named jan bonkamp <laughs> i will show you pictures jan bonkamp jan, eh? mm, he is a really compy bon <laughs> Also, heads up, I'm not kidding. In this one chapter alone, there were seven Jans. I started circling them. Every time I saw a guy named Jan, I started circling it just to be like, oh, my God. And there's, you got Jans up the Wazoo in the Netherlands at this time. But this Jan, Jan Bonkamp, he's cute. He's married. He has a family. And lots of people think probably he and Hanny be fucking. Um, they were working closely together. Why not? You know what? I hope they were. I gotta be honest. I hope they were. Um, I like to think, you know the Star Wars, the Rogue One? Yeah. The, the prequel to the A New Hope? That's kind of how I picture it. Like, there's sparks. You kind of want them to be fucking, but they're in the middle of war. It's got, you gotta focus. There's not a lot of time. You gotta, um, you gotta pay attention. Totally. And these two, yeah. they're working together closely. They're planning together, and they're, they're um, liquidating individuals, but they are also particularly focused on destroying infrastructure. So they're trying to blow up electrical grids, um, generating stations, train stations, just fuckery. Just make it hard to be here as a Nazi. And uh, they find, uh, and they do one of their, they go as a loving couple. You see the movie Inglorious Bastards? I just watched it for the first time on uh, my flight to England, actually. Oh. I was like, very, I was like, oh, great. I love that movie. I I like Quentin Tarantino, and then eventually I have yes. to admit that I like fucking love Quentin Tarantino actually. And I just I like these alternate history movies. I think they're great. And um, this I don't know if it's a coincidence, but they uh, Jan and Hanny dress up as a loving couple and go to a movie theater that is used <sighs> as a propaganda <sighs> Nazi officer hangout spot. And their whole goal is to blow up the theater and kill all the Nazis that are inside. Um, they don't. Their bombs are discovered and don't go off, but they do escape and are not oh my caught as the ones who planted the bombs. But they're, these two are having some deep cinematic <sighs> intrigue 
around every corner, right? And they're yeah. also liquidating targets. The first guy is a Dutch confectioner named Pete Faber. Um, he is a fucking neighbor of theirs who's just turning in Jews left and right, taking, oh. taking German money and just selling out... <sighs> Anyone who's doing anything around him and... Uh, An asshole. Total asshole. So they, their general bit is they ride up on bicycles, kind of moving slow. Again, a man and a woman together don't draw as much attention. She shoots first. Then when they hit, once the target hits the ground, Jan does the second shot to ensure that they're dead. Um, they do it in June of 1944 to a police officer named Regut. They know he's paranoid because he knows he's a hateful fuck that everybody wants to kill. And so he is packing two guns on him. So they ride Jesus. up on him on their bike. Hanny shoots him, hits him. But as he's going down, he pulls one of his guns and shoots Jan. Regut dies and Jan gets arrested. Oh, no. Hanny runs to Truce and Freddy's hideout and is like, fuck, fuck, fuck. Right? Jan got shot oh. and he's been taken. I don't I don't know what the fuck. And and then the reason is like, fuck, 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 right? So they go to the hospital as young women to try to find out what the fuck, right? And they see him under Nazi oh. guard being taken into the hospital. And oh. he's still alive and they're like, shit. Get this. While he's in the hospital dying he knows he's dying he's like already blind and he's paralyzed oh and he's going down this young hot girl a nurse comes in leans down super soft like whispers in his ear like i know you're gonna die and i know who you are and i know you're part of the resistance is there any anything i can do to help you and to help the resistance anything mm-hmm. at all and he gives her the photo and address of hanny She's a fucking Nazi. No! Fucking Nazi. I know. Now, Damn it, Jan. Jan, ya Yannick. But here's the good news. If there is good news in this shitstorm, the resistance is as paranoid as they should be, right? Mm-hmm. And yep. they figured <laughs> that they were gonna find. They were gonna find it. And here's the other thing: you have to look at Jan, who's blind and dying. He obviously has her picture and address on him somewhere. He knows they're going to find it, Mm -hmm. right? So if someone's whispering in his ear, I'm on your side, it's a 50-50 shot that I give it to her. Yeah, it's a 50-50 shot. These are not great odds, but I'll give it to her. They're going to find it. But it's better than the 100% that they're just going to search him and find it anyway. That's true. Okay, okay, okay. You brought back my empathy for Jan, and also he's blind and dying and like... I wouldn't make my best decisions in those moments either. The resistance is like, let's just assume that they know everything Jan knows, whether he wanted to tell them or not. Right. Mm -hmm. And so Hanny dyes her hair black and goes into hiding, which is a good thing because they go to her parents' house, they arrest her parents and they put them in a concentration camp. And Hitler himself puts out an order to find the girl with the red hair. Oh, shit. God, could you imagine being like, what? how old is she at this point? Like, She's 20, 21, 22. Yeah. Like, that you are like public enemy number one from for Adolf Hitler. Adolf Hitler himself was like, find this person. Yeah. Crazy, right? 
And that is a good question, man. I mean, what do you do? Let's just assume that she wasn't in love with Jan, but cared mm-hmm. about him as deeply as you would care about a comrade in arms. Your yeah. parents have been arrested and taken to a concentration camp. And Hitler is now looking for you specifically. She is in hiding. I mean, what the fuck? Like, what would you do? I feel like there are days where I don't want to leave the house because, like, my hair isn't laying the right way. And I (laughs) dropped the last egg before I could make breakfast. I'm like, you know what? Fuck today. Just fuck today. I'm going back to bed. I'm starting over tomorrow. Mm -hmm. Like, yeah. No, it's, it's, it's absolutely baffling to think of just being like that, that alone. And they don't even know... What's going on outside of the Netherlands, let alone, you know, what's going on outside of their yep. town? Like, yep. oh, it's such a, a fuck show. I don't know what I would do either. Um, what she does, she gets depressed for a little while and she does confide mm-hmm. in Truce and Freddie. She wants to turn herself in. Maybe she can get her mm-hmm. parents out of the concentration camp. Right. Take take her punishment and just call it a day. Um, they convince her not to do that gratefully Mm -hmm. and she does just lay low for a little while and then her parents are eventually released from the concentration camp because they actually did not know anything about what she was doing they don't know wow i can't believe they released them it's also because they'd have to take care i mean if you're not going to execute them if you if you're not just going to kill them outright and you're just keeping them then it is an expense for the german government to just hold them there yeah so you're not in the concentration camp it's not exactly a picnic to be home because in july of 1944 hitler does amp up the atrocities um and there's a reason why this is for your context it's a month after d-day Right after the inv- mm. it's a month after we invaded Normandy, and so the Allies are starting to gain ground, and there's a little bit of hope mm-hmm. out there that maybe the Allies are actually going to be able to pull this one off. And he's starting to lose his mind. And Hanny, at this point, even from hiding, has a little bit of cautious optimism, and she's still writing to her former Jewish classmate Feline, and she says mm-hmm. in this letter, "I will still try to save the debris from my old self." But that probably isn't possible anymore. Oh my god, that's a My Chemical Romance lyric in the making. (laughs) I agree. That is, I I will still try to save. Read it to me one more time. I will still try to save the debris from my old self, but that probably isn't possible anymore. Ugh, I know. That is poetic. It is poetic, and she's fucking right because it ain't over. Like. There is some some gaining ground and there's some good news from the allies, but it's not good for them. In fact, shit only gets worse because they mm-hmm. tighten the checkpoints because they um, are, are limited now in the movement of people and goods. So they go from that summer into what's called the hunger winter where there's just oh. not enough food, not enough fuel, not enough fresh, clean water. And it's one of the worst times in the midst of the worst time ever. I would probably, I think, I, I hope not, but taking an honest view of myself, this is probably where I lay low on a blanket and f- just see, either starve to death or get drunk or whatever slowly and just wait for this goddamn thing to blow over. And and I don't know if I mean life or the war or whatever, but like, count me out. That is yeah. not how Hanny Truce and Freddie Look at the mm-hmm. hunger winter and what happens. These bitches turn Thank it for them. up. They turn it up. Thank God for those bitches. 
September of 1944, which for context is one month after Anne Frank is taken to the concentration camp. They, of course, oh. don't know each other. I'm just trying to give no. you sort of that broader I appreciate view. that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. September of 1944, Hanny and another partner that she's working with in the resistance go after a target to liquidate. And in the process, she, Hanny, gets shot through the leg. Fuck. <gasps> she's fine. <sighs> she actually heals up. She's got to go lay low again and go back and hide. she's still got her hair is black her, her she has no contact with her parents she's wearing fake glasses and now she's been fucking shot so she hangs out till she's healed a month later october of 1944 um hanny and truce work together to liquidate this real piece of shit named faki christ he had in his name it sounds like his fucking name, Christ. It does. Fucking, fucking Christ. Fucking Christ. Let's call him that. Fucking Christ. Yeah, yeah he's Christ. And this fucking guy sucks. He's a Nazi sympathizer selling out his neighbors, piece of shit. And he was so hated that he had two other attempts had been tried on his life. So this guy's paranoid. He's moving around armed all the time. He knows everybody's out to get him. Honey and Truce finally see him. They coordinate. They're riding up on him to pull their guns. And before they can pull the trigger, five shots fire up. Bat, 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 bat. Another resistant cell <gasps> executed him before they did at the exact moment they were about to pull the trigger. Amazing. Um, and uh, which I think is incredible. Uh, ten it's... prisoners, however, are taken out of prison and executed as retaliation. Oh. So the Germans have now responded with every time they execute, pull one of these tricks, they execute at least 10 to 12 Oh my God! People in retaliation, and to prove that it is retaliation for that act, they usually would commit the executions on the same spot. So take mm. the prisoners out to where fucking Christ died, and make sure they die yeah, there, just look. so that there's no confusion over what this is, right? Okay, but realistically, were they ever going to let those prisoners go? Probably not. No, probably not. But does that like, comfort yes. you at night? You know? No, no. But it's like, come on, Hitler. You weren't going to, you were going to kill them anyway. You're just killing them, what, sooner? Like, mm. yeah. It shows that they don't have much left. March 1st, 1945, Hani and Truce disguise themselves as workmen, wear male disguises. If you uh, go to our Instagram, you can see photographs of them in their various disguises. Um, oh, some of them are actually yes. really, really good. Um, and they liquidate uh, a guy named Wilhelm Zerkzy. Um, and two days later, 15 men are taken from prison and shot in reprisal. Jesus. Two weeks later, March 15th, Hani and Truce work together. Oh, wait for this one. <laughs> Hani and Truce work together to liquidate this fucking guy. He's a men's hairdresser, and he has been kind of giving spa days to all these SS officers and just dishing, uh. selling out. He's He pretended to be sympathetic to the resistance so that he could lure uh. resistance fighters out and get them arrested. He's a fucking piece of shit, right? They ride up on him. They shoot him. He doesn't die. And his fiance comes running out and she starts screaming her head off. So these two drop their bike, fucking run, right? So Hani and Truce run into a bar, pull their guns on the occupants of the bar and say, the Germans are going to follow us in here in about a minute and a half. And when they do, everybody in here is going to say we've been here all day. They then take a shot. So their breath smells like alcohol. 
And when the Germans run into this bar, they just hang on them and act like these drunken muffin girls. So they're saying all the things, oh, I love you. And just how much they love the nut and they're breathing boozy breath. And they annoy them to the point that the Germans leave and they oh. and they escape. That, <laughs> that, right. is a, that is a hell of a tactic. Oh. Then four days later, they liquidate a guy named Jerdo Bakker. Two days after that, they attack a woman named Madame Saval, and she also, betraying, betraying, lying, Mm. giving up resistance fighters, they shoot her, but she survives because the bullets get caught in her thick fur coat. How's that for Okay, now, not that I think we should wear fur, um, but I think this is a case for why layers are a great fashion option. I agree. I would like to tell you more. They asked Sophie Paldermans, the author of this book, asked them, how many people did you liquidate? Can you give me a number? I'm as curious as you are. And I tried to do a count in this book. I could count as many as 12 just by kind of keeping track. Mm -hmm. But she knows they didn't tell her all of them. And some of the stories, you know, so she said, how many? And they answered her the way that Almost every other military veteran has ever answered that question, which is you don't ask a soldier that. Ugh. You don't. And and generally that. speaking, anyone who knows the number and and pr- boasts about a number like that is probably pretty bad news. Yeah. Um So let's hold let's hold in our in our hands sort of these victories because um you and me are going to walk down um a path mm. where we have to say goodbye to one of these girls. Mm. On March 21st, this is the day um, after the failed attempt on the lady with the fur coat, Madame Saval. Um, Hanny is stopped at a routine checkpoint mm. and she has in her bags some resistance newspapers. And that's why they nab her, which I found so heartbreaking because it was like, that was her original act of resistance, the, the least lethal, the least violent yep. act of resistance that she'd ever participated in. And that ultimately is why she roused their suspicion. She gets arrested. She gets taken in for interrogation. The good news is that as that happens, some of the resistance fighters saw were like eyewitnesses. So they could at least sort of tell the resistance what had happened. Like we saw her get arrested. Her Mm. hair is still dyed black. They do not know who she is. But when they take her in for interrogation, they find the gun in her bag and they give enhance the interrogation. And by all accounts, the German, because Germans were very good bookkeepers, as you know, Mm -hmm. By all accounts, Germans, the eyewitnesses, um, she didn't say shit. Oh. So then they take her to Amsterdam for further enhanced interrogation. Oh, no. And it is during her transportation to this new prison that they inspect her hair and they see the red roots <gasps> growing uh. from her hair. They wash her hair and confirm that she is the notorious girl with the red hair. Uh. Then she's thrown and they continue to interrogate. And again, by all accounts, she doesn't say shit. She says nothing. She gives them mm. nothing. Um, and then she's in a lineup and, and we recall the hairdresser 
that his fiance started screaming and they had to run uh-huh. into the bar. Well, this fiance sees her in a lineup and points her out. That's the one who shot my fiance. Mm. And it is at that point that Hanny confesses and says, it's me. And part of the reason uh, why is because all the other women in the lineup were then spared execution. Yeah, then they stop looking for, oh, right. Hanny. Hanny. Go, girl. Go. So she's in prison. And on April 17th, 1945, she's taken out of her cell. She apparently knows exactly what this means because she, quote, screams very hard and very long as mm. she is being escorted out. Um, she's uh. put into a car with two men, one of whom is carrying a shovel. And they <gasps> drive her out to the middle of these kind of grassy, sandy dunes uh, not far oh. from the seaside. Now, there are some conflicting reports. We know these two men. We don't know who shot her first, but we do know mm-hmm. the first shot hit her but didn't kill her, like grazed her, because she says, you idiot, I shoot better. Oh, God, I love her. And it's a machine gun that ultimately ends her life from the other person. No. Yeah, that'll get you. That'll get you. Um, but That's... I do kind of love being able to tell the person who kills you they're fucking idiots. Yeah, Great like, mm, you're not even good at this. All right, are you holding on to something? Uh. Can be, can be. Okay. The war ends and her town mm-hmm. is liberated 14 days later. No! That's always Two how it weeks. works. Two weeks. And at this point, Hanny <sighs> is missing. She was just missing. They knew she was arrested. They knew that she was interrogated. And and Truce uh. and Freddie are so convinced that she is going to be released from the prison by uh. these Canadian, handsome Canadian liberators, by the way, that they go to the prison with flowers to greet her. And it is at that point that some of the other inmates say how loud and hard she was screaming. They, there was no mistaking that she had been taken out and that where she had gone. Um, they excavate those dunes after the war, and they find the bodies of over 400 resistance fighters. Oh, my God. Hanny is the only woman. Oh. They do take her remains and give her a very celebrated proper burial. And the queen, when she returns, gives this huge tribute and this huge send up to Hanny. She does get memorialized in her town. On the one hand, of course, I'm reading this book and I'm, I'm so sad. I love these women. I'm, I'm inspired. I, and I'm so sad Hanny's dead. And I'm so glad that Truce and Freddie have survived and the war is over. And I can feel that lifting of like, oh, it's over. And then I thought this book's going to end with a, so watch out for Nazis, the end. And that's not how this story ends. Because after the war, Truce, she marries another resistance fighter. Um, they have four kids. She lives as a visual artist. She's a sculptor and a painter. She actually builds the bronze um, sculpture that memorializes Hanny that is still standing in the center of town. It was revealed in the 80s. It's very cool. She lives into her 90s. Um, her younger sister, Freddie, also gets married and has kids, lives a nice, quiet, secluded life out there in the Netherlands. She talks about the war even less than her big sister. She also lives into her 90s. Um, Sonia, one of those Jewish classmates mm-hmm. um, that she helped hide, what successfully hid for a while, but then in an attempt to get to 
Switzerland, she was betrayed and dies in Auschwitz. Oh. But Feline, the other mm-hmm. Jewish classmate that she wrote to, she survives, moves to the United States, gets a degree in international law, and ultimately oh. works for the UN. Oh. oh, I know. I love Feline. And this is a question when I, you know, because when I'm doing my Hilf, I talk to people about it, you know, because I can't <laughs> shut the fuck up about this stuff anyway. And so I'll be like, did you know there were these three women? And the question that people ask all the time, you may have had in your head already, is where's the movie? Mm-hmm. What the fuck? Why am I learning? Movie. Amazing, right? It's so yeah. amazing, so cinematic. And it's complicated, right? And there's it's complicated for several reasons. One, because this is a very personally conflicted situation. Like most people who have experienced war, they don't want to run around telling everybody exactly how it went down. It doesn't feel good. These are not happy mm-hmm. memories for them. And they do have regret. Not necessarily wish they had done something different, but they knew that they killed they killed traitors. But those families loved them mm-hmm. and were also their neighbors, right? The families of the people they executed. And the reprisals hit them hard, especially because mm-hmm. so much of this happened near the end of the war. Yeah. So they're starting to wonder, my God, if we hadn't killed those three people... 45 prisoners would they have been released yeah the other big reason why we didn't celebrate these women earlier is because they were communists and that was their they were left 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 political leaning long before the war and most of the resistance fighters were vehemently communist Mm -hmm. and as we know after world war ii the face-off is now churchill versus stalin Right. Mm. Russia versus the United States. The main line there is communism. And for especially the Dutch royal family and the Dutch government, they were hugely threatened by anything that was communist. They couldn't have anything that was lefty communist or they were going to be on this new line in the Cold War. So we're not going to go ahead and hold up these three commie women, even Mm. though they did these great things. So that was also part of it. Mm. Let's not forget, dude, they're women. We're not great at recognizing women, especially when they do a sort of masculine job. And by the time Mm -hmm. we got around to being cool with the fact that they were communists, they were old women. (laughs) And and the only thing worse than a woman is an old fucking woman. Am I right? (laughs) Yeah. Um, And then there's the added just practical fact that if you really gave them all this credit for all this military work that they did, they'd probably be owed some sort of pension, some sort of... Mm compensation some sort of official recognition and they weren't necessarily going to do that either and i especially after i've had some time to sit with this i also see why it's complicated because i admire these women obviously and i spend this time i'm inspired by their strength and their bravery and their and the story is so thrilling but they are also armed teenage vigilantes killing people in the middle of the street I like that they did it. I think Mm -hmm. I might have done the same thing. That doesn't mean that I'm super cozy in 2023 with a real hot movie showing all of these gun-toting teens killing the people that they disagree with, that they don't like, that they think are bad, even though Mm -hmm. those people are the baddest, right? The you worst just of start. The bad. You just start to get into a real kind of, and even truce, 
said at one point when she talked about that Nazi that was killing the baby, she says, I looked at the targets that we liquidated like a surgeon looks at a tumor. It was Mm -hmm. a cancer that was killing the world and it needed to be cut out. And I, again, I understand that. And I agree. And again, I probably would have done the same fucking thing. The problem is those words are a big deal. That is not Mm -hmm. a human. It's a cancer. To kill them is to save the host. I ask you when you have heard a group of human beings referred to lately as a cancer. Uh, Right? Yeah. It's why we have to be really alert when we start hearing language like these people are not people. Mm -hmm. These people are a cancer. Because I think we can all understand that if you believe that's true, ergo, you can kill them with a clean conscience. Mm -hmm. You could eliminate them from the face of the earth and a book would be written and maybe even a movie and two (laughs) hot twats on a podcast are going to talk about how dope they are. And it's just too sticky. Yeah. Right. I, even though if you're going to kill someone, it's fucking Nazi. It's tough. This is the right time. These are the right people to kill. Mm -hmm. If you're going to be an armed teenage mercenary Mm -hmm. killing people on the, let's make it these people. No Nazi's a good Nazi. No. Wild story. Crazy. And, you know, I mentioned this is my only source. We, we have to know that for every little nugget like this, there are quantities of untold stories of individuals mm-hmm. who did incredible acts of villainy and heroism that we will never know. And um, and so may these little like glimmers that come through to us now and again feed our imaginations and our motivations to to live in this world in which these things are not only possible, yeah. but happen more often than I think we're prepared to accept. Oh, hmm. what? what a beautiful fucking story beautiful wild story will you come back and be a guest with me again someday i would love that that would be wonderful i'm so grateful for this subject and for this time and i'm gonna find you again i can't wait oh, thank you so much john oh michelle Mosier. am i right now i usually tell you to go follow my guests or get tickets to their shit but not this time Michelle took a deliberate leave from social media and is probably right now just somewhere sitting in nature, unbothered by likes and shares and reviews and whether or not you enjoyed the sound of her voice. <laughs> Which, like, duh, of course you did. In fact, you you might have loved the sound of her voice and you might be like, I want more, more of it. I don't know, like, just more of you two chit-chatting. Maybe you just want one more story from Hanny, Truce, and Freddy. Hmm? Maybe another big cinematic one? Well, hmm, my patrons get just that. <laughs> For that interminable two weeks between new episodes, you too could have one more little morsel from the anals. Five dollars a month, boom, bam, in your inbox. Right? It helps me buy books, which I have to buy because I write all over them. <laughs> Head over to patreon.com slash hilfpodcast to see what, you know, we can do for each other. (laughs) My next episode is really going to blow your hair back. It's the number one requested, most 
fuckable history subject there is. So magnificent, it can make a museum's annual bank with just one brief partial exhibit. Titanic, ladies and gentlemen. You're going to want to stretch because we're all going down together. <laughs> In the meantime, our theme song was composed and performed by the incomparable Cat Perkins. A reminder that you can find my sources, links to the books, documentaries, and articles I reference in the summary of this episode or by emailing us hilfpodcast at gmail.com or messaging us on social media at hilfpodcast. This has been Hilf, history I'd like to fuck with Don Brody. I'm Don Brody, reminding you that history is a party and everybody's coming. <laughs> Hello darlings, Helen Shepard here, host of the Hollywood Reveal podcast. I've always been fascinated by Hollywood and the people who dare to pursue their dreams in this city of stars. And on the Hollywood Reveal, we spill all the tea. My guests dish the dirt on what it's really like living and working in LA, from their careers to their personal lives. These Hollywood insiders don't hold back. Expect juicy Hollywood gossip, scandals, secrets, and stories of triumph, perseverance, and inspiration. And the best part? You can join us from anywhere. Just search The Hollywood Reveal on your favorite podcast platforms.